What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morantz, Joe Johnson's, Ja Rafts, of course. We've got Jays we got for days. Josh, how are you doing? Good to be back. It's kind of always weird navigating all of the different holidays and then the falling on weekends and the whole thing, but it's good to see your face. It's good to see you as well. I hope you had a good, a, 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 a happy holidays. I suppose we're, I, I suppose we are still in the midst of said holidays because I mean, I guess I, I suppose, do you consider New Year's Day, New Year's Day a holiday or just like a thing? I consider it part of the happy holiday season. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. It certainly doesn't occupy the same place in my brain as Christmas sure. does, but yeah, 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 or or Thanksgiving for that matter. But it is certainly part of the festivities. And in terms of getting back into the swing of things, there is no in the swing of things happening between Christmas and New Year's. It all seems to happen. It all seems to happen after after New Year's. So from a very elementary standpoint, I suppose uh, that that it is very much part of the holiday season. But Nonetheless, here we are podcasting on December 29th. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you had a happy holiday. Um, If you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. If you celebrate some other form of happy holidays, I hope it was a good time. A good time was had uh, in all aspects. We're kind of, and for the most part, every every conference has played conference games at this point. Um, Some teams are are playing conference games this week. You know, the Big East now a 20-game conference schedule is uh, starting in the middle of December at this point and kind of playing through Christmas. Um, There were Big East games on Christmas Day this year, which is a little weird, and I'm not a fan of it, but that's the way that it is. And Did did you, real quick, did you see, I saw something that the DePaul Creighton game had more viewers than the NBA games. That kid, there's no way that's true. I refuse to believe that's the case. Like maybe like maybe have... in Omaha, Nebraska. Sure. <laughs> but I'm not even sure I would believe I... that. I... I'm pretty sure I saw it somewhere. I could be wrong on that. I would be like that would be the most stunning news of the entire calendar year in the, <laughs> in the sports media world. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Like that is like Al Michaels going to Amazon, Kirk Herbstreit coming to the NFL, Buck and Aikman going to ESPN. No, Creighton and DePaul beating out what that game started in the middle of the afternoon, right? It doesn't matter. Yeah, I think it was it an, after- it went, it was an it went, afternoon game. It went toe to toe with a with an NBA game. I refuse to believe that. You might be right. Okay, okay. I, I certainly I, I found, didn't okay, do any, found, any research. I found the tweet. Per sports TV ratings, which is Apparently, just somebody who covers sports TV ratings. Okay. DePaul and Creighton had a higher rating than every NBA Christmas game except Buck Celtics and every college football game last week. This tweet was on the 28th, except Wake Forest, Missouri. It was by far the most watched college basketball game of the week. So there you have it. That's what I saw. You know, everybody who who actively reports, like, like the like I like I find. That's like saying basketball that's like saying basketballcoverage.com. Like and I know but there's like basketball news and that's a very that's a very legitimate and worthwhile uh 
basketball outlet but something about your your outlet being sports tv ratings kind of like i'm a little skeptical but that just doesn't make any sense to me like zero yeah i got no explanation it just made me happy and it's not like it's gonzaga (laughs) and duke on christmas day right like 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 it was a team that at the time had won just one of their last seven games that had just like they were seven and six at the time, and DePaul is bad. I'm confused, and it's not like it's it's you know Georgetown, and it's not like it's two massive markets. I mean, right? Chicago is a big market, mm-hmm. but Omaha is not. Omaha is a quintessential mid major. That that is that's that's quite baffling. I'm not gonna lie. Whatever. I mean, I'm sure people who watch that game had a better time watching that game than watching the Grizzlies just get smoked by the Steph Curryless Warriors on Christmas Day. <laughs> but I digress. But I digress. Um maybe you just maybe like just keep your mouth shut every once in a while so that you don't get everybody's best shot. That's my biggest beef with it. It's like being the number one team in the country, except every time you get the best shot of a team that also has like that is full of professional basketball players. Mm-hmm. That just seems like you're making it harder on yourself than you need it to. Um <laughs> But once again, I digress. Um, the point being, right, it's either the Big East is right in the, you know, well into the thick of, of of conference play because they don't play some of those early games as part of their 20-game schedule. The Big Ten and the ACC kind of getting underway in the next few days. Um, and the Big Ten don't play games. Right, but they play games early in December. They haven't played right, games. Coming so back. They're not playing games right yep. now. Um Big 12, I believe, starts Saturday. So um, the point being that there's no more appropriate time to look back and see how we are already wrong when it comes to our predictions and where we would like to change them. Essentially, this is a second chance to predict conference champions before we get so deep into the conference schedule that of course I'm just going to pick the team that starts six and zero if it's a quality basketball team because at some point you win enough games that you should be the front runner. At that we haven't quite gotten to that point, so this is a good time to stop, reflect, and see where we might preemptively decide that we were wrong before the season started and remedy those mistakes. So very simple: six power conferences: ACC, Big East, Big Ten, Big Twelve, SEC, and Pac-12. I guess Pac-12 and SEC, if going in alphabetical order. I have the the team that I picked, and I will provide the team that I would like to either stick with or change my answer to. We will go back and forth, and that will be the podcast and the last podcast of 2022 here on Jays for Days. So, Mr. Doring, it only, I mean, it makes sense to start in the ACC where we start in pretty much every conference podcast that we do um, with, if you have your winners originally before the season started, I'd love to hear them. And then we can hop into a conversation about who we would pick now. So starting with the ACC, Josh, who did you pick in the preseason? And are you going to stay there? I picked North Carolina. I will not be staying there. I'm Although shocked. They are playing- I'm stunned. They are playing much better. Got to give them credit. Uh, I'm. I made this change a long time ago, and I'm sticking with it. My new pick is Virginia. I. We've been talking about it. The fact that Virginia is the best team in the ACC, that they look like a Tony Bennett team that's going to win the ACC regular season title. 
the offense is comparable to the defense in Ken Palm, which is something I always like to see and has been the issue the past couple seasons. That defense can get, and of course the defense has slipped a little bit as well. That defense still can get even better as they continue to sort of put this group together. I really like the addition of Ben Vanderplaz. He's come up huge a couple times, specifically in that Miami game, which they lost a close game to a really good Miami team on the road. A Miami team that probably isn't getting talked enough, talked about enough considering what they've done so far, but I'm just not worried about that. And it's not like the other teams I'm thinking about here, Duke and North Carolina, are off to terrific starts and looking really convincing. They both have conference losses too. So to the extent that, you know, early those first two, three games that some of these teams have played in conference are going to serve as some kind of tiebreaker. That doesn't help in this case either. And if anything, it's point Virginia because that's just not a loss you're going to be worried about at Miami. That's one of the best Mm -hmm. teams in the ACC on the road. That's a place Duke has gotten destroyed by other good Miami teams. It's not a fun place to play. So Virginia, I we've been talking about it. I don't feel like I need to explain too much. I'm just, I know it's been a little bit shaky recently. I still just think they're a class above everybody else. I, I, I we're in lockstep here when it comes to the ACC. Uh, I also picked UNC and will alter my selection to to the Cavaliers and Tony Bennett's squad. And you know, I and I won't sit here and act like I was like flipping a coin to decide if I was going to pick North Carolina or Virginia in the preseason, but. I did think that that this was possible that we would get to conference play mm-hmm. and feel like the team that we that I had the most faith in to win the most conference games would be Virginia and whether or not they're the most talented team and there you know there are certainly days where it looks like they have guys that are you know it, there are certainly days that Reese Beekman looks like one of the best players in the ACC there are days that Armand Franklin looks like he has the potential to be an all big an all ACC caliber player um Kihei Clark is of course you know in his 17th year at the University of Virginia good for him um and kind of where you get to and like you said it's a it's a north excuse me it's a Virginia team that's 12th at Kempom right now they're top 21 in both offensive and defensive efficiency so the balance is there for the most part. And because of the pace that they play with and the fact that there's still some, right, they're 361st in tempo. Like in theory, you have a couple guys that you can go to to get baskets late in games, but it's not like you have total faith in that every time down the floor. And they're just going to have some of those games where, I mean, their last their last three games. No, we can go back. Their last five games: Florida State, James Madison, Houston, Miami, Florida, Miami, Florida, Miami, uh, and and Albany. The most points they've scored in that stretch is sixty six. They're three and two in that stretch, um, and they've failed to get to sixty points just once, but they haven't eclipsed sixty six points. So it's not like we're talking about a Virginia team that is bringing the hammer down offensively. But what I do think it is, is a Virginia team that is going to be, they're going to make it really hard for you to beat them. And the other teams that I think have a real shot, and maybe Miami, maybe I'm not giving Miami enough credit. Maybe they have a real shot to win, to win the conference. But if they, them starting four and O and looking really good in the ACC, that's happened before relatively recently. And they've kind of faded down the stretch. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So until they kind of capitalize on a good start with a strong, you know, six and three kind of into a conference schedule and continue to to win lots of games, I will always favor the side of, of Tony Bennett's squad who, you know, with without argument is the guy who has figured out how to win as many ACC games as possible the most consistently. And so you know they they have they have the talent they have some of the balance that you're looking for and the the history of winning lots of ACC games and the other teams that have more talent than them at least without debate you know specifically Duke and UNC both of those teams um, have been shaky for different reasons this season and I would be less comfortable going with one of those two teams so I also end up on on the Virginia uh, peg on the board. Moving right along, moving right along. You know, the ACC and the Big East, and I was looking through this, and like the ACC and the Big East were the two conferences that I probably, like, without hesitation, was like, yep, like it, maybe not without hesitation because I what I just said about Virginia, but the, the other four conferences here, I thought they were real conversations that I didn't have to talk myself into. Like I think preseason, I was kind of trying to talk myself into, into Virginia um, before that ACC preview. Um, But for the most part, the ACC and the Big East, I thought there were two teams that were pretty clearly the front runners, at least on paper. And now here we are right before conference play. And those were the two conferences that I most quickly was like, Nope, it's somebody else. Now it's somebody else now. Um, and the Big East is one of those conferences as well. So, uh, with that being said, who did you who who did you go with in preseason, and where do you end up now? Yeah. So my pick was Creighton. Mm-hmm. I do not feel I was wrong about Creighton. I still one hundred percent believe Creighton is the second best team in the Big East when healthy. Which now Ryan Kalkbrenner has returned, and all of a sudden, lo and behold, Creighton is winning Big East games consistently and convincingly. But then UConn happened. (laughs) And as much as I'm not worried about Creighton, they're just not as good as UConn. (laughs) It's it's quite that simple. UConn has played a difficult schedule, beats everybody by double digits. They have two, you know, first team all Big East caliber bigs. We've talked about this before. All kinds of options on the perimeter. The only thing I was looking at kind of their entire analytical breakdown, the only thing they're kind of bad at, I mean, they're really bad at it, but everything else they're somewhere between decent and excellent at is that they send teams to the free throw line a lot. A, I'm okay with that because that means you're playing aggressive defense. And B, that's just part of who UConn is, right? Long, physical, aggressive defensively. They're going to physically impose themselves on you. It's just part of what comes with what this program is and the the kind of team Dan Hurley builds. If that's your big issue, and we're talking about, you know, some of the flaws these other top teams have, you're doing just fine. So I this is I, I'm right there with you. I didn't have to I knew I was picking Creighton. I felt very good about it. I don't feel like I was wrong necessarily. UConn is just way better than I or I feel like anybody else expected them to be. So I don't feel like I was wrong about Creighton. It's just that Creighton is not the best team in the Big East. 
Yeah, this is this is easy decision for the complete uh, the exact opposite reason that the ACC was a easy decision when it comes to the recording of this podcast. It's not UNC anymore because it's clear that UNC just isn't as good as we thought they they might be. Um, Creighton with Brian Kalkbrenner on the floor is just as good as we thought Creighton was going to be, and the numbers back that up. Um, but to your point, UConn is just beating the brains out of people over and over and over again. You know, the thing that we're recording this on Tuesday, the 29th, it is not Tuesday, Thursday, the 29th. It is not Tuesday, Thursday, the 29th. And they just beat Villanova last night in a game that I think was closer than people thought it was going to be. And First of all, one of the last time, and I was talking about this with a with a family member who went to Villanova. When do you think the last time Villanova was a double digit underdog in the big in the Big East? I don't know. I didn't go look it up. I couldn't find, yeah. frankly, I couldn't find a way fast enough that I I didn't care enough to do enough research. Yeah, right. Like if if I could have found like a list of Villanova betting lines history, then like I would have taken a moment to go and see where where that might have actually been the case, but. I did not find that that website, so I so I don't know what the answer to that question is. But um, it was a game that was close, and it was close because Kyle Neptune said we're going to double Adama Sonogo every single time down the floor, and we're going to dare anybody else on UConn's team to beat us. And um, Sonogo's offensive rating was seventy one. That's eighteen points lower than his second lowest of the season at 89 and it's only the second time this season that it's been below 100 his offensive rating um he only had he had seven points was three or five from the so he they took him out of the game offensively as much as they possibly could and did a pretty good job doing it um it was it was Villanova for about 38 minutes did a really good job executing the game plan that Cal Neptune put into place I am curious what it looks like for teams playing for playing UConn going forward. If that's just something that we're going to see every single night, because they just kind of dared the rest of that UConn team to to score enough points to beat them, and namely Andre Jackson. It was hey, we're going to leave you open on the other side of the floor a lot, and they did it at the very end of the game, and he hit a big three with two minutes left or so, and. That ended up, you know, helping secure the win. So eventually, he did hit the shot, but forcing Jordan Hawkins and Andre Jackson and Alex Caraban to be the scorers offensively um, kept a Villanova team that I think we would all agree for the, that is is um, is a little overwhelmed by UConn's talent, right? They don't, you know, there are some prospects on the floor there, but generally speaking, there's more talent on that UConn team. They kept it close in stores as a result. So all of this to say that I find it, I I will be closely watching how UConn has played in the Big East over the next couple of weeks to see if teams just keep doing that. But the point being, ultimately, is that UConn is the best team in the Big East, and that's the result of the change here, not because... And Creighton's had a weird season because Kalkbrenner was out because they lost a couple close games to good basketball teams right before Kalkbrenner was out. So then it resulted in this really ugly looking losing streak. But with the guy back on the floor, he immediately came back against Butler and had like 19 on eight of nine shooting. 
and he completely changes that team on both ends of the floor immediately when he steps back on the floor. So that team is good. That team is going to be fine, but they are not UConn, and that's pretty clear uh, roughly two months into the season. The Big Ten. So I had Illinois. Mm -hmm. I will not be picking Illinois again. I will say I still love Illinois' ceiling. They're just not consistent enough. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it looks great. Sometimes it looks rather bad, and that's not how you win the Big Ten. So I'm picking Purdue, <laughs> just not only because they're obviously the number one team in the country right now and probably have the best player in the country in Zach Eady, but also just looking at the other options, which is part of the conversation in this conference at the beginning of the season, right, was, okay, if you're not going to jump on the Indiana bandwagon, who are you picking? I feel confident we were both right about Indiana, so I'm not picking Indiana. If anything, I feel a little bit worse about them now, probably, than I did at the beginning. Just talked about Illinois. Okay, Wisconsin, off to a good start in conference play. Obviously, knows how to do this Big Ten thing. But they've got a stretch coming up here in eight an eight-day period where they play at Illinois, home against Michigan State, and at Indiana. Back-to-back-to-back games, January 7th, 10th, and 14th. If they can get through that, then maybe we're talking about something. But to me, this is right now just a question of can anybody keep pace with Purdue? Because Purdue Purdue also knows how to do this whole Big Ten regular season thing. And to me, they're just so far better than everybody else that I didn't have to think hard about it. Yeah, this is... Purdue is the team that has changed the conversation in the Big Ten, and nobody else I'm all that surprised by what they've done thus far. Illinois... On nights where Coleman Hawkins has it going and shots are falling, like that team looks like they have the potential to beat anybody in the country, and they've shown that ability this year. But they're they're not super consistent, and this is the first year, right? You know, all else fails, you give the ball to Io Desumu. All else fails, you give the ball to Kofi Coburn. That's not it's not exactly that simple at times when it, for Illinois this year, um, things are a little less cut and dry when things are a little iffy. Um, And as a result, not quite as consistent Indiana. I think we, I think we hit the nail on the head with how we've talked about Indiana going back to going back to the preseason and Wisconsin, right. They're a team that also has made a living on finding a way to win a lot of big 10 games and more big 10 games than you think maybe that they, that they should win, but they do it anyways. All of those teams brought to the table about what we thought we were gonna, they were going to bring to the table. And Purdue brought the best player in the country, and we did not think Purdue was going to bring the best player in the country, at least one of them. And certainly the guy who is stuffing the stat sheet in a way that, that very few, very few people, if anybody else in the country, is doing in Zach Eady. And, and to that point, like there isn't a guy that jumps off the page here that I'm like, yep, that guy is really going to give Zach Eady problems. So in the Big Ten, no matter, and, and like, you know, because the other guy that, you know, right off the right off the bat, I'm like, okay, that's a guy that at least has size that is as comparable as size can be to a guy who's 7'4", is Hunter Dickinson. And the last thing you would say about Hunter Dickinson is he's a lockdown defender. Um, 
what he does is much more on the offense. And what makes him special is much more on the offensive end. And even though IU has some really good defenders in the front court and Trace Jackson Davis is a talented defender, he's 6'9". Like it's it's just there's only so much you can do when you're six nine and Zach Eady is seven four. So um that gives them a foundation in Big Ten play is is they can get the ball into Zach Eady and and kind of go from there, then they've kind of got something to lean on throughout Big Ten play. And as you said, Matt Painter is one of the best when it comes to winning winning lots of Big Ten games and not losing Big Ten games you're not supposed to lose and just being right there at the end of at the end of every conference schedule. So when he's got the best team, it's 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 only uh, logical to to pick the Boilermakers to to win the Big Ten at this point in the season. And uh it's pretty impressive what he's done. Here they are at number one in, for the second year in a row, which doesn't happen in the Big Ten all that often. And and uh here they are here, here here they are doing the thing again. So I also have the boilers to win the Big Ten at this point in the season. All right, the Big Twelve. Where were you two months ago roughly and where are you now? Yeah, so I went with Baylor. And I'm changing that. First though, I would like to take a moment to give a shout out to the fighting Jerome Tangs, who are eleven and one. I know they haven't played anybody. People, this man can coach. Just wanted to mention that before we actually talked about who's going to win this conference because I don't think it's going to be Kansas State. Shocker. I'm going with Kansas. It's going to, I've come to the point where I've decided this is going to be a really, really close battle between Kansas and Texas. I still like Baylor's potential. I just don't think Baylor's going to figure it out in time to be a factor in this race because you need to start now. I just don't feel like Baylor's anywhere close to Kansas and Texas at this moment in time. And in this conference, you just don't have the luxury of dropping a couple games early and then really picking it up because you're playing you know, NCAA tournament caliber teams 60 to 70% of the time in conference play. If you're not showing up, TCU is going to beat you. Iowa State's going to beat you at home. West Virginia is going to beat you. You go down the list in this conference. There just aren't very many easy games. So you need to be playing well from the very beginning. So deciding between Kansas and Texas, the two things that made me lean in favor of the Jayhawks, outside of the fact that Texas hasn't done this before, is at least, you know, recently, is... Kansas has more young players who are only going to get better who are key pieces to that team. Guys who are just starting the whole college basketball thing that can become even better versions of the excellent players they already are by the end of this. I know Texas has freshmen too, but those freshmen are more role players where Kansas's ceiling is somewhat dictated by what their freshman class ends up being because they're so reliant on some of them and you know, you've got some guys playing in, in new roles. I just feel better about Kansas's ability to improve and build self's track record as well. The second thing is, so, so I feel first, I feel like I know who Texas is already and they're not really going to change. Whereas I feel like Kansas can take another step forward. The second thing is, I don't, I don't know how to quantify the role it's going to play. 
But the fact that this Chris Beard thing is just kind of sitting there with no mm-hmm. clear resolution in sight, one way or another, however you feel about how Texas should handle it, just this idea that no final decision has been made also leans makes me swing in favor of Kansas because that's just something that's going to sit there as a distraction. It's going to be something players, coaches are thinking about because it's inevitable because, you know, he was an integral part of this Texas men's basketball family this season. All of a sudden he's just gone. Mm. And so that part of it too scares me a little bit from a Texas standpoint. I just, if they're really close right now and you can make a case, Kansas is better. I'll take the, the ability for Kansas to improve and get to another level by the end of the season. Whereas I feel like Texas is just going to be really good and they're already really good. And that's just kind of that. You kind of need to be all systems go to beat a Kansas team of this caliber in a big 12 race. And if the team that I, the other team that I get to pick from other than Kansas is a team that's having this, as you said, sitting there, this lingering cloud over the program, like that is enough for me. This Kansas team is good enough that that is enough for me to want to go in a different direction from Texas. If you asked me two weeks ago, however long it's been since that incident happened, like if if we had done that podcast, this podcast before that happened, I probably would have picked Texas. And I still think Texas, you know, they, on the floor, they haven't really shown you anything to suggest that they're, that they're not as good as they have advertised. Right. But Kansas has also done a lot to show you just how good they are. And, you know, I sound like a broken record when it comes to these conference champions, but at the end of the day, Bill Self, like death taxes and Bill Self's Kansas teams when they're one of the best teams in the conference. And even when they're not like the most talented team in the conference, they still find a way to like either win it or get a share of it, or you got to do something mighty impressive to beat them. And when, when you have a program issue, like your, like your basketball coach being arrested and being, you know, allegedly doing the things that he did, that thing is not going to go away anytime soon. And just the possibility of it having an impact at some point during the season, um, or, you know, in, more impact than it already has had. Um, I don't, I already don't need a ton to go toward to, to gravitate default to Kansas when it comes to who's going to win the big 12 and that kind of thing just makes it easier for me as well. So um, I think Baylor has some shortcomings that they just don't have, like the, the personnel is just not going to address. Like that's just the reality of the situation. I think this is the first year in a little while that even the first year in probably three years, Maybe you you might be able to even go to the nineteen twenty team as well. That even when this Baylor team is clicking on all cylinders theoretically, there are things that they don't do especially well, and there are holes in the roster that they just have. And I think that's kind of a even when healthy, and that's not something that we've we've had with with Baylor the last couple of years. But I just think there are some things that that are going to hinder them a little bit. So uh, I ended up in the Kansas boat as well, because at the end of the day, 
Nobody wins that conference like Kansas, and they have a team that I'm not sure anybody else is better than. So those two things together uh, it land me in in Lawrence for the umpteenth year in the twenty in, in the two thousands. SEC. This is another interesting one because there are some teams here that, you know, I think the team that at least on paper was the best team in the conference, clearly not the best team in the conference. Um, We're on the heels of Kentucky going to play Missouri and Missouri just kind of handling them for 40 minutes. Um, So another one where maybe some things have to be looked at again. Uh, Where were you preseason who did you go with in our SEC preview, and where where are you pivoting to? If you are pivoting, maybe you're going to stick with the fighting Oscar Sheboys, but I would be surprised if that were the case. Yeah, no, we're not sticking with the fighting Oscar Sheboys. Okay, right. uh, I picked I picked Kentucky. That might be the single worst decision I made. Certainly, the one I regret the most at this point. So then, like you said, it is very interesting because it's so open in terms of, okay, who really is the best team in this conference? Mm -hmm. And the team I have picked to win it, I'm still not convinced they are the best team. However, I am 100% convinced I trust them the most, and that is Tennessee. Kentucky has to do something to even get back in this conversation at this point. Not only after what just happened, but also the fact that they can't beat elite teams. So I don't have faith. They're struggling to beat some of the teams that they theoretically should see what happened against Missouri. Also, I just don't have faith that they're going to, you know, put together three, four or five wins against the Arkansas, Tennessee's, Alabama's of the world and kind of win those games that could potentially decide this conference. So they need to do something to even be considered at this point. Arkansas, the injury concerns to me are just too much. You've already lost one really important piece Nick Smith has been in and out of the lineup. You're also coming off of a shaky situation here to get things going as you turn into conference play. I really like this team. I still think they can do something special by the end and get to the final four. I don't feel terrible about saying they're a final four team. I just don't see them winning this conference. Again, it's not something they've done and they've already at this moment are without multiple key pieces to what should have been one of the most talented teams in the country. It's not that they've been bad. They've been quite good. They're just not quite what they could have been through really no fault of anybody's except for just unfortunate injuries. So that leaves Alabama and Alabama is going to be Alabama. They're going to lose some games. They shouldn't. They're going to beat some really good teams. They're going to hit some threes. They're going to miss some. I'm just not picking that team to win the conference. So Tennessee. So I picked Tennessee in the preseason. And I'm I'm really excited about that right now. You know what's crazy? It's looking is, quite good. You know what's crazy is that it is December 29th. I consider myself a knowledgeable college basketball observer and talker and all of those things. And I consider you to be the same. And it's December 29th and... We've gone through now five of the six conferences and 
this is the first time that one of us is holding on to our pick. It's been a it's been a super weird college basketball season. And and not that and right and and for some reasons right like in the Big Ten I think there was just a team that we didn't see something coming. All right, I mean Purdue literally did something that has never been done before. They went from unranked to first faster than any team has ever done it. And but you know in the ACC the opposite happened. The number one team in the country went to unranked faster than any number one you know, in the preseason AP poll has ever gone to unranked. Um, it's just been, and maybe, so some of these things, it's not like we were wrong about a lot of these things. We were really right about a lot of these things and wrong about like one team in every conference. It just happened to be the team that in a lot of situations is either impacting the top of the conference or is no longer impacting the top of the conference. So as a result, you get these things, but similar, all of that to be said, um, or- I'm sticking with, go ahead. Or the other thing I'll throw is that we just didn't really double down on it. We both Mm. saw the issues with North Carolina coming. There was just no reason to believe it was going to be this severe. That kind of thing, too. Sure. Right. Yeah, it's been a very – it's a very well-taken point. It's been a bizarre season. That's all I want to say. Um, I'm I'm sticking with Tennessee as well. Uh, Well, I guess I am sticking with Tennessee in – so I too will be going with volunteers here on this podcast. And it's for a lot of the same reasons that you end up with Virginia. Um, if you ask me to pick a team that I believe to shoot themselves in the foot, the fewest amount of times I'm going to pick Tennessee. If you ask me to pick the team that on any given night, kind of in the same vein, I think has the highest floor. I'm going to pick Tennessee. Maybe not every night they have the highest ceiling and, you know, a team that's outside of the top 50 at Kempom offensively like that, that sometimes will rear its ugly head. And early in the season, it did just that against Colorado. Um, But at the end of the day, that's a team that they're going to lock in defensively. Very rarely are they just going to have duds of a game where they just nothing goes wrong because of that foundation defensively. And at the end of the day, to your point that you, you know, all of those great points for those, for those teams that you mentioned, um, they've all got question marks that are either whether it's, you know, systematically a question mark or this particular season, right? I think Alabama, just the way that they play under Nate Oates, there's a systematic question mark that's always going to be there. Um, and Arkansas, they, their question mark is the one that no team ever wants to have, which is how healthy are they going to be They're, You know, it looks, you know, they're never going to be completely healthy. Um, and the full version of the team that you'd like them to be. Um, and so that lands me in the place that I started at the beginning of the season with the volunteers, um, and if you ask me to pick who's going to go to the final four out of this conference, if you made me pick a final four team out of this conference, I'm not sure the answer would be Tennessee, but when it comes to yep. who's going to have the best record over this, this uh, SEC conference, uh, I do feel pretty confident in it being Tennessee. Yep. That's exactly where I'm at. Last but not least the PAC 12. Um, I actually don't, I, I was, I was, for the first five, I, I was pretty sure I remembered who you had picked. 
I think we picked the same team for the Pac-12. I don't remember especially though. So where did you go for the Pac-12? That's very that's very Pac-12 of us to not for, of me to not really remember what we talked about when it came to the Pac-12 because that just kind of seems like where everybody else is when it comes to the Pac-12. Poor Pac-12. Um, but alas, um, and here they are as in. <laughs> as they often are wrapping up a conversation. Uh, where were you with the Pac-12 in preseason? I picked UCLA. I'm sticking with it, partially because I can justify it, partially because I need to stick with somebody to make myself feel a little bit better because I've changed every single other one. So UCLA <laughs> is, the, is, the, <laughs> UCLA is the one I can still cling to and say I was right about something. So mm-hmm. we're sticking with the Bruins. But I also really feel like there's a strong argument as to why UCLA is going to win the conference. We've talked about this with Arizona, the fact that it's more or less five guys. To me, it's the best starting lineup in the country, but it's still five guys. UCLA has six starters because David Singleton is a starter who just happens to you know, sort of play that sixth man role. Eight guys play in real minutes. They don't turn the ball over. They force turnovers. They're turn- they're dodge- the turnover battle is something that they are absolutely dominating so far this season. That's a big plus for me. And the outside of the fact that, you know, Arizona already has that, that Utah loss, there is something that happened in that game that is my concern and why I just had a hard time going with Arizona. Umar Balo Azulis Tabellas had 42 points in that game. And nobody else really did anything. If three starters, I think Courtney Ramey had 11, if I remember correctly, but it was an inefficient 11. And Creesa and Larson, I don't even think combined for 10. I don't remember all the numbers off the top of my head. But they're in trouble if they have three starters at the same time who have a bad game. It could happen again. And if it happens again, that's two conference losses. Now you're probably talking about, and that's not you know accounting for maybe they just can't shoot the ball one day or something. Or, I don't know, UCLA, sorry, USC has a fantastic game or something like that. Then you're talking about probably having to beat UCLA twice because you got to dig yourself out of this hole. And I just don't see that happening. To me, if UCLA can split those two games, take care of business at home, they're already, just by doing that and by what's, hap- what's happened so far, they put themselves in a really good position because there's just this glaring hole for me with Arizona that, okay, UCLA starters are not as good in terms of the top five players on the team. But UCLA has six guys who can give you double figures on every night that you can trust as you know guys who can play 30, 35 minutes. Two other players who are key contributors in the sense that you're playing you know, 10, 15 minutes a game. That, to me, is what makes the difference. I, I love what Arizona is. Mm-hmm. I just think there's a massive ceiling there, and there's a mental hurdle with that I can't get over. A couple things. And and that's and everything you said is is kind of in the same ballpark of of what I'm going to say. Um, Arizona violates one of my fundamental beliefs and philosophies when it comes to basketball, and that's I am just always going to have more faith in the teams that's best players revolve around the perimeter, and Arizona's most reliable players. And there are some nights that, right, Courtney Ramey has his nights, Kirk Carissa has his nights, um, but both of them also very much do not have their nights sometimes. And um, 
Tabellus and Balo almost always do, but the way that the game is played right now, I am just always going to default to the team that has better perimeter players. I mean, and and UCLA's, I think, like, ultimately, UCLA's perimeter players as a collective are significantly better than I thought they were going to be as a group. Um, I mean, Jaime Jaquez is doing everything that we wanted him to do in preseason. Can can he become the go-to guy offensively? 17-6-2 um, and two, um, on... 55 he doesn't shoot the three, three ball especially well that's fine but 55 percent from the field 60 percent from two-point range um and 77 percent from the free throw line um for a guy who doesn't shoot the three ball i think that's about all you can ask from a guy like him and if he were to develop a three ball throughout the season first of all that would be that would do wonders for his stock as an nba prospect that's a different conversation but um he's been spectacular um, Jalen Clark and his 16 and six and a half, like that is, that is quite a development as well. Tiger Campbell is scoring it better than he ever has from a points per game perspective. Um, David Singleton, all four of those guys are in double figures offensively. Um, and you kind of put, you know, we talked in the preseason about how important Amari Bailey and, and, and Adam Bona are going to be. And those two, those things are still true. But we've almost managed to do this thing where they're still important, but not, but with less pressure than I thought there was going to be because those other guys that I just mentioned have been good. Um, that team, Kempom really likes this team. I was surprised. I was looking at, so they're projected mm-hmm. to go 17 and three in, in the Pac 12. Uh, they're fourth at Kempom right now, fifth in offense, 10th in defense. Um, Ken Palm really likes this team. Arizona, they're they're expected to win this conference based on Ken Palm projections by a full two games, and that one is uh, that one's a little bit surprising that that Ken Palm likes them quite that much. But um, but yeah, there's there's a little there's more depth there when it comes to UCLA. And some of my philosophical pillars when it comes to how I think I think about the game trend in the direction of UCLA. And to be to be frank, I like being right. And I also picked UCLA in the preseason. So it's kind of nice to be able to to feel good about about sticking with them. I am really curious kind of how this goes in the Pac-12 for Arizona mm-hmm. for that reason. It's a very interesting experiment of can your best five players just be that important and not only you be good, but you be, you know, high major regular season conference champion, good national title contender, good. It's kind of, it's kind of the, the question that's going to dictate kind of how the top of this conference shakes out because as good as they've been, from two point field goal range, they've been like equally as bad when it comes to the three point line. I mean, in conference play alone, right? Like only conference play right now. Granted, it's only two games, but they're sixteen percent from the three point line in two games. Is Arizona um, the next worst? Uh, um, sorry, there's one. Poor Washington State is shooting fifteen point nine percent from the field from the three point line. That's that's really tough. But then again, they're also just not a good basketball team. So, you know, it's a little bit different, 
but the the consistency they get from the perimeter play, I think, and it is going to be the thing that dictates just how close this race is between between UCLA and Arizona, for sure. Mr. Doring, do you have anything else on any of these conferences, um, anything outside of the conference, anything we haven't touched on, either to wrap up 22, kick up, kick off 23 anything you need anything you need to get off your chest after uh a an extended time between our since our last podcast yeah happy new year to everybody i'm i'm really looking forward to kind of starting this weekend where we can really lock into conference play that the whole going back and forth and you play conference games and then you play some other really good teams after that and there's just kind of no seems like rhythm or flow to the schedule messes with my brain so i'm just very happy now we're going to get to see conference games and to really kind of start figuring all of this out because it's been very confusing so far yeah it's it's hard to get into a rhythm with with these random conference games and like i almost think i because at one point i think the acc like started their season just like straight up started their season with a conference game because I think I remember like Syracuse and I think I remember Bayheim being really upset because they like had to start with Virginia at home or something um, like to kick off the season. That's what they got to do to start the year. Um, I almost like that more than the like beginning of December thing because um, it allows non-conference to like pick up steam and then you can go back to, to conference play. But yeah, it makes it makes the there's just the, the the momentum of that non-conference brings and then the momentum that that conference play brings i think is kind of wonky when you've got when you've got early december conference games and then we're kind of bouncing back and forth you know yeah we're going to play a big 10 game but then we're going to play Kennesaw state and then we're going to play alcorn state but then we're going to go back to the big 10 it's okay um it is what it is. That's the and then we're going to play the... in the Big Twelve, Big Ten ACC Challenge, <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, but it is the nature of of twenty game conference schedules. If if nothing else, anything else, Josh? No, that's up. Happy New Year! We will be back in twenty twenty three. I'm not going to do the thing where I say we'll see you next year because. I've 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 already heard it about six times in the last 24 hours, so I'm not doing it. I will see you on the next podcast per usual, okay? It just so happens that the calendar year will be a different calendar year, but we're just going to talk to you at the next podcast, okay? Awesome, fantastic. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. Check out the YouTube, check out tiktok follow us on twitter all of those fun things you can get the podcast wherever you listen to your pods it's all great it's all fun it's all dandy um and plenty of places to interact with the podcast thank you so much for listening to this edition of the jays for days podcast i'm josh he's josh and we will see you later